Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. The Word is the Word is the Word. And just in case you're wondering about what we believe around here, we believe this is the absolute inspired Word of God, that it holds the truth, that it is the counsel for life. We don't believe that there's just elements of it that are instructional and we just take it out you know, as we want to, we take the word of God as the word of God. And so because of that, um, we are increasingly needing to swim upstream against culture. We're increasingly needing to be different. We're increasingly having to be established in what the truth is and know why we believe what we believe, be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And some of us really just we haven't gone there yet. And I believe we are moving into a time with increasing speed that if we don't know whose we are and we don't know what he's about, we won't make it. We're gonna struggle so hard. There's gonna be so much pain. But when we walk in the light as he is in the light, right? There is, there is life. There is, there is this thing that comes out of us that shines and it changes the atmosphere instead of the atmosphere changing us. And so we wanna lean into that. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about his way. And the more you study about his way, what his way is, the more you realize that it's not anything like the way that we're experiencing. It's not anything like our culture is. It's not anything like what our school system is. It's not anything like our political system is. It's not anything like our natural governmental intellect uh, is putting out there as truth. God's way is different, and we have a choice to make. We have to decide whose way we follow. We have to decide what path we're on. We have to decide what it is we're part of. And the, the more we engage it, the better it is. Halfway, there's a reason that Jesus, you know, when we, we read and, and Jesus is calling us back, in, even in Revelation, to the first love. That you be not hot or like uh, not lukewarm, but be either hot or cold. Cold is better than lukewarm because cold can be heated up. Cold knows it's cold. Lukewarm is this weird place of semi-safety and semi-comfort that doesn't really actually have the power on it, doesn't actually have life on it. So we wanna lean into that today, and we wanna understand specifically today the way of life. So the way of life means the way of life that God has called us into that should affect and change our way of life. It should change the way we do life. It should be the, the way that we parent. It should be the way that we are in our marriages, how we operate in the workforce, how we engage in the marketplace, how we do life should be his way of life manifested through us. It should be Jesus in us. And so the way, as we've been talking about it, the way is a mode of action, the means, the journey, the course. So the way, when Jesus is the way, it's not just a static thing, it's the beginning of a course, a path. It's a way that we do life. We engage him and something starts. It's the beginning of a journey that we're on. When we talk about God, let me just put it out there for the record again, we don't believe Jesus is our way. He is the way. There is one way to God. There is not many ways. It is not the God of your understanding. It's not the God of your preference. It's not the God of your feel good. He is the way. 
There is one. And so that's, that's our absolute truth. That's our starting point on this one. And Hebrews 10, 19 to 20 says, Therefore, brethren, have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And so what the access is that we have is we now have access to the Father. We now have access to the wholeness of the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus. We go through that space. We've been separated by sin. Jesus paid the way. He is the way. And now we have confidence to engage God. We're not going to be struck dead through, due to our sin because Jesus made the way. Jesus paid the price, right? That's, that's our basic uh, reality as believers in Jesus Christ. Our basic reality as Christians, basic reality as people of the way is that we follow the one who made the way. Obviously, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, these things seem like basic points, but honestly, these things are in dispute. Um, and as we cover a little bit more today, you're going to be probably as horrified as I am to find out some of the things that are being spoken and some of the things that are being taught in Christian churches. But this is the truth. This is the words in red. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. He doesn't care. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the reality. It's the absolute. Do you know if there are no absolutes in life, there is just sheer pandemonium. The absolute of the fact, it's, it's really a, a true fact that we either believe God fully or we don't believe him at all. Because if we only partially believe that God exists and Jesus is loving and kind and God wouldn't do, you know, whatever... If we only partially, if we want to cherry pick scripture, we miss the fact that God is ultimately the God of the universe. Either he created us and he gets to set the rules or he doesn't exist. There really can't be a halfway point. And when he says that sin separated us, there had to be a blood price that was paid, that Jesus came and made the way for us, that through him as the way, that he came and he made the way for us. It's not an optional negotiable thing. It just is his house, his rules. It's how the world works. We are made to function by God's design for God's purposes. And so if he is the way, we talked about in the first week of this series, he is the way. If we are gonna experience his ways, we need to start with the way. So we can't have a, we can't have a belief in a, like a higher power. There's certainly a higher power. His name is Jesus. You know, we, we can't have a belief in some, you know, greater spirit out there, some what, he is, he is God Almighty. So when Jesus is the way, he is the way, that is the entrance point. And he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus doesn't just speak truth, Jesus is truth. And so when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, the engagement with the truth releases the life. The truth tells us how life works. And this release of truth, this truth that he's talking about, 
We covered last week a little bit when we talked about the counterfeits. The counterfeits of things that we like to worship. And we don't, we don't necessarily think that we're worshiping, but anything that's got our attention, it's got our focus, it's the pursuit of our life, it's anything that rises up above God in our life, it's anything that we're willing to lay down our lives for. These counterfeits that come up, they are not the truth. And so we have to come back to, there is a centralized way, truth, and life. The life that Jesus gives us is not temporary. It's not a short-term, like, live it up kind of life. It is literally the breath in our lungs and the eternal picture of life with him. Life that goes on beyond the grave. And many of us have had places of loss in the last few years, and you've seen people actually pass. You've seen people actually, you know, after, after their spirit is gone. And it is pretty obvious that something has shifted, that what is left is just body. It, it, it's not the actual life goes somewhere. So if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we want to park on that a little bit. The truth that he is, is this, this absolute anchor for every decision that we make. It's the starting point. It's the end point. When we, when we sang, just along with the video, even just a few minutes ago, this hymn of heaven, we join the generations a thousand generations singing around the throne. Doesn't that just put like an anchor on the inside of you? It's just like, yes, it's stable, it's solid. There is an eternal thing. And it's so easy to get caught up in the what's happening this week and this month and this year and get so swirly about it. But as soon as you step into the eternal picture, it just levels out. The sad thing is we have come as a society, particularly as a Western society, but increasingly, you know, I watched the news a little bit last night and it's been a while since I have. I was shocked at how upset everybody is about the World Cup and where it's going to be and whatever and what the people believe there and the pro... LGBT, whatever, and the, there's like freakage. This is like the main news. It, it's, the world has lost its core sense of truth. And literally our society is called a post-truth society. We are a post-truth society. We believe in moral relativism. The Barna Group says, truth is increasingly regarded as something felt or relative rather than something known or absolute. So this, this is their assessment of North American population. Truth is increasingly regarded as something felt or relative rather than something known or absolute. So I'm gonna have you just flip in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, just to give us a bit of a foundation to jump off of here today. This is a nauseating place to find ourselves in. And the reality is we're literally talking one generation. It's happened in one generation. That we've gone from a belief in God and a belief, at least if I'm not religious, I believe that there's a God. I believe that to this feeling thing. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 5. And this is Paul's last words to Timothy. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. How about that? How was church Sunday morning? Well, I was convinced, I was rebuked, I was exhorted. Great, nope, nobody ever says that, right? Nobody ever goes home from church. Man, I was so rebuked today, it was awesome. Great preaching until today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry." When Paul wrote this to Timothy, there was a whole different set of circumstances going on. But the, the basic uh, spirit of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the stuff that goes on around us, it comes in different forms and in different magnitudes over all of history. But this sounds different to our current generation, doesn't it? Again, verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, Jonathan Kahn has just put out a, a new book and a video series, The Return of the Gods. I don't know if anybody has read that or picked up on it. So good. Um, but in there, he, he says this, which is an interesting revelation. He says, when one creates truth, in other words, like we talked about last week when we talked about the idols or the counterfeits, when we create the thing to worship, when we decide what is worth our life, when one creates truth, truth becomes a fabrication and ceases to be truth. As America and Western civilization turned away from God, they began undergoing a process of subjectification. As they moved away from truth, they moved away from the concept of truth itself, that there was any to begin with. Truth was now what was true for the individual. There was no ultimate or absolute truth or any truth. No objective reality to contradict his own personal truth. Our truth my truth. You will see that everywhere, especially on social media things. Well, that's your truth. You know, you got to speak your truth, man. That's your truth. Your truth means nothing. The truth means everything. Your, your truth is subject to change and feeling and emotion and culture. The truth has been the same as it has always been and will always be. The truth is absolute. So we can wander off and we can find people where Timothy gets told, he's like, people, Paul says to Timothy, people are going to find for themselves people who speak their truth. Basically, they will, find, they will find people who agree with them, who minister to their truth. But it's not the same thing as the truth. Now, this is a scary concept because when we're looking at our current policies uh, globally, there's been things changed so dramatically in the last 15 to 20 years that the idea of truth has gone completely out the window. It's like if that's wrong and that's different and that's changed and that's acceptable, then what else is up for grabs? And everything is up for grabs. Everything is subject to change, except that God says, I do not change. Yes. Isn't that something? So when God says, I am the one who does not change, I, I was, I am, I will be, nothing in God changes. That's our safety net until it becomes offensive. 
right? I mean, I hope I'm looking at a room full of people who are willing to walk the offensive way with Jesus. It will be easier if there's more of us, but we are swimming upstream. And to give you a little bit of idea on this one, Matthew 5, 13 to 15, Jesus said, but you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So, societal norms have changed. God has not changed. The keepers of the presence of God on the earth, the speakers of truth, the givers of light and life become us. Jesus said, you are the salt. You are the light. So when society has changed this aggressively, it seems reasonable to think that the salt and the light have been hidden. That the salt has maybe lost some of its saltiness. That the light has been tucked away in hidden places. And meanwhile, it looks like darkness has spread. Like the blandness, the neutrality of life has spread. But God is calling his people in this hour to come back to his way. Come back to the truth. To live in the light. To be a city set on a hill. That's not going to be a popular thing. But it is necessary for us to step into the fullness of what God has for us. The concept that we're dealing with is the breakdown of what our worldview is. And not everybody is you know, conscious of a worldview or you never paid attention to your worldview. But a worldview, by definition, is a comprehensive or apprehension of the world especially from a specific standpoint. So literally, it's the lens through which you view the world. How you see people, how you think the world works, how you see life works, how you see relationships work, how you see the future. The lens that you see through is your worldview. So, you know, for the people who, just let me throw a thing out there. For the people who maybe have lived in big cities their whole life and have no idea where food comes from, the idea of living off crickets sounds like a good idea because clearly cow farts are polluting the environment. But for those who grew up on a ranch and you understand how beef works, um, the idea of a bug burger is not appealing in any way, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying I'm team any, so I'm just saying... Your worldview is through the lens of what you've experienced, what you know to be true, right? So you can, you're hearing information and you're running it through the filter of what you know. So the worldview that we're dealing with right now, the problem is it has changed. So in with the advance of technology, in with the advance of ready information on your phones, people have been able to dig in and talk and share in far broader spheres than they ever were before. Faster, uh, broader mix of people, things that you would never have studied before or got into before, maybe you're into now. And so part of that is the shift in worldview. So for instance, again, Barna Research Group, they've done a lot looking at society because the last like 15 years, so much has changed. They're trying to sort out, you know, for different uh, spheres of society, how did this happen? So they're doing these uh, studies and their study from 2020 found out that uh, 6% of US adults have a biblical worldview. Doesn't mean they're Christians, but believe the world through the view of what God says is true. 
6%. There's a couple different percentage points that cover secular humanism, nihilism, Marxism, uh, go figure, Eastern mysticism, but almost all the people surveyed have what they call um, a syncretism viewpoint. What is syncretism? Some of you might know. I had to look it up. Syncretism is this. So this is, this is U.S. We have reason to think Canadians are the same. It's Western culture. Over 90% of adults think this way. It is a disparate, irreconcilable collection of beliefs and behaviors that define people's lives. It's a cut and paste approach to making sense of and responding to life. Rather than developing an internally consistent and philosophically coherent perspective on life, Americans embrace points of view or actions that feel comfortable or seem most convenient. Those beliefs are often inconsistent or even contradictory. 90 plus percent of our adult civilization in the West puts together their own version of the truth, is what that's saying. What is comfortable and what is convenient has become my truth. Even if it's contradictory, even if it doesn't make a ton of sense, even if I can't back it up, I believe my version of the truth because it's comfortable for me. Let me read again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. We're not even talking, there's like a concerning group that's rising up. We're talking the majority. When, when you have conversations with people and you're like, what the heck? What, where do you get that? You need to understand you're the weird one. It's shocking, I know, but majority of the population does not believe the basics of the Bible. The basics of the Bible. Now, let me give you what really made me want to throw up a little bit. I know, we haven't even got there yet. So they studied pastors. Across denominational lines, seven major groupings. Um, so th these are Christian churches. Um, Jesus following, Jesus preaching churches. And they were given this series of questionnaires. The survey was around 17 basic beliefs of the Bible. So worldview of the Bible. So we're not talking doctrinal stuff, not specific. This church believes this and this church believes that. We're talking the basics of uh, salvation through Jesus, moral and biblical truth, human purpose, the value of human life, the sanctity of marriage, basics. 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. 63% have a syncretistic worldview. How did the salt lose its saltiness? We're not even getting fed proper in the house. There, there's, it means that by default, I mean, obviously there's variations to this, but it means when you find somebody who you really like online, man, that's good stuff. It is highly probable that if you just enjoyed it because it pacified your feel good, it could be not what God says. It could be not through his lens. That's horrifying. We could be sitting in churches and have this stuff. The breakdown within pastors is 41% of senior pastors, 
senior pastors, senior leaders have a biblical worldview. 28% of associate pastors have a biblical worldview. 12% of children's and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. 13% of teaching pastors have a biblical worldview. And the bigger math is of the people who attend church with kids under grade 12, 2% have a biblical worldview. So that's not just what's happening on the stage, that's what's happening in the body of Christ. Is that we have decided that this is offensive, that this hurts, that it's subject to change, that it can't be right. 62% of pastors are decidedly dominant syncretistic thinkers. John 8, 31 and 32 says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The math is on these pastors that have this percentage one third of pastors don't read their Bible during the week. I just want to let you know that our house is different. These are not the stats around here, but praise God. I'll be quizzing everybody from now on. How many hours have you spent? No, I mean, if, if this is our standard and we're not in it, what are we teaching? The scary thing is, is that the word talks about you shouldn't be really zealous to be a teacher because you're going to have to give an account for it, right? So for the pastors and teachers, that's a very scary thing. But for the general population, body of Christ, how much, if you're like shocked that pastors are not spending time in the word, are you? Because ultimately we're responsible to feed ourselves. Like the shepherds come and we feed, we point you in a direction, but we are responsible. We come to Jesus, not through man. We come to Jesus through Jesus. We meet with him and through Jesus, we come before the father and we engage him and we come before the Godhead and we ask for wisdom and direction and counsel. And the prophetic words of God should always line up with the written word of God. There's this thing where we have these new surprise revelations that are coming and I've never heard that before. If it can't be lined up with the word, ditch it. It's itchy ear stuff. We're being called into this place of truth and I love this phrase, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth. The truth that you know makes you free. If you don't know what the truth is about that, you're not free in that area. The freedom's been paid for, but you're not experiencing it. It's that thing where the door of the prison has been unlocked, but we're sitting there waiting for something to happen if we don't know why we get to walk through the doors. If we don't know that the price has been paid, if we think it's a trap, we think that there's something twisty about it, we will stay in bondage. But when we know the truth, the truth makes us free. And that kind of freedom is a permanent thing. Once you've been made free, you will never go into that level of bondage again. It is the freedom that Jesus paid for. Now, Jesus did not say that you will know the truth and the truth will make you popular. You will know the truth and the truth will make you happy. Right? It, it, it doesn't say you will know the truth and it will make your life easy. 
Free and easy are not the same thing. Freedom comes in the midst of costs sometimes. There are things that go on around us. We are going to be living all of our days, I'm certain, in a measure of, of pressure and a measure of conflict, a measure of persecution because there is such a disparaging uh, split that's going on there. Because there, there's the divide in our population. If we're going to live in the light, we're going to have to understand that there's going to be some weight to it. But when we're yoked together with him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So it matters that we do it his way. When he says, come and learn from me and I will show you the unforced rhythms of grace, it doesn't mean come and, and, and just do this and it's going to be so fun and so awesome all the time. It means we get to work with him and he makes it light and he makes it easy, but we are doing it his way not my way. I cannot add a little Jesus to my life. It's Jesus or it's nothing. And some of us, we, we've, we've just wanted, I need a higher power. I need something to lean into. But Jesus is like, I need you. When, when the word tells us it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That means there's been a radical exchange. That's the people that Jesus walked and talked with. People who gave up the life behind them and went on to the life with him. That's what he's called us to. Now that's not a, a happy pappy thing <laughs> unless you really get into the word and you understand the lover of your soul. This is the one who made you and fashioned you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who calls you fearfully and wonderfully made who wrote the book of your life, who's, who's got his fingerprints all over you. When you come into agreement with him, there is a place of internal life, internal peace, internal joy that can't be exchanged for anything else. And it's like that thing, if you've got a, you know, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you're in a really good marriage, you would rather be with your person in little then live by yourself in lots. You, you would rather share the cheeseburger, you know, than sit by yourself across the table with somebody you don't want to talk to and eat the steak, right? You, you, you want whatever it looks like when there's satisfaction on the inside. It changes everything. And this joy that he gives us, this life that he gives us, it's this internal belonging, this knowing that whether I die today, I die tomorrow, I die 50 years from now, what I, I know where I'm going. I know the people who I've lost, who loved him before, that are there. They are waiting for me. They are cheering me on. I know that I'm going to have eternity to get to know him. And the fact that Revelation says that there's angels around the throne just singing, holy, 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 because he's so magnificent, there's no end to his holiness. There's no end to his worth. There's no end to his worship because of how glorious he is. That's where I'm going. I can deal with a little discomfort right now when I know the way, when I'm on the way, when I'm in the way, when I'm on that path of life, that is worth everything. Yeah. But here's the truth. We do these things where, and we're probably guilty of it here sometimes too, where it's just like, you know what? Jesus loves you. Do you want to say yes to him? And it's true. But Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the, the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are a few that find it. 
So if Jesus is all just love and sweetness, why doesn't everybody just get on the Jesus wagon? Because it's hard. Because literally Jesus said, there's no fine print. Like, have you ever bought something and you get it home and you're like, oh, this, this is not... This is not what I thought it was. I almost bought a nativity set online the other day. It looked beautiful, like hand-carved wood, whatever. And then I, I looked in, in the fine print, it's like 12 centimeters big. <laughs> Hardly worth the shipping price, right? The fine print is that Jesus put the fine print out there, real big. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? Enter by the narrow gate, because the narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to light, leads to life. The broad gate and the broad way, Jesus literally says, is the way that leads to destruction. The breakdown of that word is ruin or loss. It means that the majority of people around us will follow that because it looks easy. It's easy to find, it's easy to live. Everybody's doing it, but it will lead to destruction. It will lead to ruin. It will lead to loss. The narrow gate and the narrow way leads to life. And the word life there is the word Zoe. Absolute fullness of life, active and vigorous. It will last forever. But it's narrow and it's difficult. And some of us have given our lives to Jesus and we're like, I totally thought it was going to be all better from now and it just sucks. There's hard things happening. I feel like if Jesus could sit across the table from us, he'd be like, yeah. It, it was there. It's actually in my words in red. You know, you can get a really good handle on what the gospel is if you just read the words in red. Really get an understanding of what it is, how God operates. But the words in red are big. It's a narrow way and it's a narrow path and it's difficult. And so we decide it with a soberness of mind. You know, not just this emotional response, but in soberness of mind. It's like, of course, there's the feelings. Of course, there's the emotion. It's like when you get engaged and you fall in love and it's all good. But when you say yes to a marriage somebody's going to have to plunge the toilet, right? Somebody's going to have to pick up the dry cleaning. Somebody's going to have to change the baby. Somebody's going to, and yes, there was feelings at the beginning, but when you signed up for marriage, you signed up for a life that has some dimensions to it, that has, it has some things. We can't be surprised. I have had more people than I ever would have imagined in the last couple years say to me, well, if this is God, then... What did you think you were getting into? What we experience is that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome. So when the trouble comes, we walk through it with him. We are not alone. We are not in despair. We are not overwhelmed. We're not shocked. We know where we're going. We know who's with us. And so everybody has trouble but we have trouble with an action plan and a power source and a lifeline. We have trouble that we go through in perfect love and perfect peace. That's worth everything. Hard to put on a postcard and advertise for people, but that's the path. Matthew 16, 24 to 26, and Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The three things that Jesus says to do there are not what we would put on the advertisement. We would tend to say, you know, if you want to be loved unconditionally, you want peace that passes understanding, you want joy unspeakable and full of glory, you want to know where you go when you die. All of these things are true, 100% true, but also... In order to access this, it's an all or nothing kind of gig. It's a, I lay down my life and I pick up his. It's not, yeah, I would love that. I would also like to be the boss of my own life. I would like everybody around me to like me. I would like to feel fully in control. I would like the 15 year plan stepped out for me so I know what decisions to make. I would like to just know that I can do whatever I want with my money, my time, my resources. I, I'm still in charge of my life, but I also want love, joy, peace, and eternal security. It's not what he said. He said, if anyone desires to come after me. See, Jesus wasn't begging anybody. Jesus was not buying, you know, online Instagram ads. He was like doing life, healing people, casting out demons, multiplying food, caring for the broken, loving the lost, turning for the ones who everybody else turned away from, living in that place of absolute service. And he said, if, if you want to come with me, deny yourself. It literally is the meaning of Jesus is Lord. Deciding he's not just savior. He didn't just pay the price, but he is the Lord of my life. And the word Lord means supreme authority or master. I'm still the boss of me. Not if you're giving your life to Jesus. He is the supreme authority and the master. When we believe and confess Jesus as Lord, sometimes I think we just miss it. In our language, we're just simple with it. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I prayed prayer. And I'm totally doing my life my own way. There is a massive percentage. I didn't write down the number. It's, it's a massive percentage of evangelical pastors right now that are preaching a good life will get you to heaven. M massive percentage. That is not what the truth says. Your intentions won't get you to heaven. You're, I, I kinda, you know, I believe in a higher power, I wanna, won't get, our, our works are as filthy rags. We can't do it. He did it already. But in order for us to take the price that he paid, we have to allow him to be Lord of our lives. He is the Lord. Jesus said, deny himself, take up his cross. Take up his cross does not mean you're going to have to do all the lousy things and it's going to be this burden that you carry through life. It literally means die to self. Die to self. Jesus is the Lord and master of my life and I have to die to self, which means there's gonna be some stuff that I am not gonna feel super comfortable with. It means I might lose family and friends. 
It means I might be unpopular. It means I might not get to do all the things that everybody's doing all the time because I am choosing the better way. I am choosing the way. It changes, it changes my right to respond in certain ways, my right to speak in certain ways, my right to spend in certain ways. It changes how I do life because I pick up my cross, I die daily to the flesh, and I do what is necessary. There's a reason Jesus said anybody who leaves father, mother, sisters, brothers, lands, for my sake, why would he even put that in there? Because for some of us, it's going to be costly. And the people in your sphere might not agree with what this says. It doesn't matter if it's legal, if it's not lawful in God's eyes. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The word follow that he used there literally means to be in union on the road. To be in the same way with and to accompany. It literally means that my life is now connected to Jesus. It means that every day I can get up and go, where, where are we going today? What are we doing today? What are your plans? My life is not my own. You know, we, we've come through generations where people did that sort of stuff, where missionaries got called, you know, across oceans and packed their belongings in their casket because they knew Jesus called them to that land and they would die there. And now we got people that, you know, won't go to Sexsmith because it's icy road conditions. You know, it's far ways out of town. What? Whatever, whatever the thing is, we have to understand that when we give our lives to Jesus, the freedom that he promises us, it's experienced in tandem with him. He doesn't just do stuff to us. He works with us. The Lord working with them, performing signs and wonders, right? That's what we read in the book of Acts. God worked with them, but they had to go. They had to do. They had to pray. They had to speak. They had to lay hands. They had to cast out demons. They did the stuff. And he worked with them. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits means they work with the God that they know. Not just randomly. I prayed a prayer once. I live my life completely for myself and I expect miracles to flow out of my fingertips. That is not how it works. Yes, he does miracles. But we must be in submission to his rulership. There's a letter that was apparently in a news article uh, a column that was directed to Reverend Billy Graham. And the question was, I'm a Christian, but I disagree with the teachings about the narrow road, a rejection of all that is exciting about life. I can still be a follower of Christ, but take part in what the world has to offer, right? Billy Graham's answer was, when American astronauts astonished the human race with their spectacular first visit to the moon, they took the Apollo 11 on a very narrow trajectory through space. Now suppose the NASA control center in Houston had received word from the Apollo 11 that the astronauts were off course. And Houston had replied, oh, that's all right. There's a number of roads leading to the moon. Just keep on the way you're going. The fact is they could have kept going, but they would have never come back. People don't like the word narrow. But Jesus said there are two roads to the future life for all of us, heaven or hell. He taught the way to hell is broad, but the way to heaven is narrow, and there are a few that find it. Christ didn't divide men and women into rich and poor, black and white, or educated and uneducated. He described the human race as either being on the broad road or on the narrow road. 
and each person must decide which road they will travel to eternity. What do these roads look like? The broad road looks like fun, adventure, sex, gluttony, drugs, deceit, etc. And there are many people who go to church that travel this road also. That's a sobering sentence. People who think they're on their way to heaven but are traveling in the opposite direction. It may seem right to people to get out of life all they can, but the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Choosing the narrow road may be lonely at times, but it is the right road that leads to an everlasting life in heaven. There's a purity to the way. And I know this is not the feel-good sermon of the year. However, it is maybe one of the most necessary sermons of the year. And I know we have people that watch our services online and we get a lot of feedback from people who are listening on the radio. And, uh, you know, there's prophetic words that I, I completely believe about Canada and the path that God's got for Canada, her purpose in the last days. There's prophetic words about as goes Alberta, so goes the nation, as in this is the birthplace of what God wants to do in the nation. And there's a lot of prophetic words about what comes from the north unlocks things for the province, which unlocks things for the nation. So maybe we can't change all of North America, but what if we start being salty? Yes. What if we live in the light? What if this is a city that's set on a hill? What if this is the place where we decide, you know what? We don't really care if abortion's legal, if euthanasia is legal, if, you know, whatever. We, we believe... God breathes life. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. We believe in the value of children. We believe he created what he created, male and female. We believe that God is who he says he is. We believe that there is one way to heaven. We believe that there is a singularity of purpose that we are called to, and we can't add in all the other bits just to make people feel comfortable. What if we're willing to be different, but the same as the one who said it all in the first place, right? I'm gonna have the worship team come. And just as they do, I'm just, can we pop up that one more slide on the screen? Oh, that is very small. Okay, I'm gonna read it to you. <laughs> Maybe everybody else who actually has their glasses on can see that, but this is what we call the Romans road. And it is pure gospel. It is absent of emotion, absent of I don't know who I'm gonna offend, whatever. This is biblically speaking. This is what the word tells us. And it's called the Romans Road and many of us got saved following through one of the little handout tracks that use these scriptures. We're gonna do that new holy song, please. Step one, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Even nice people, even generous people. Do you know some of the corporations that are the biggest, most generous givers to social issues are some of the most perverse, twisted? <laughs> what they do on the backside is so pure evil, but they get a free pass for what they give out this side. No. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
Step two is Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't feel very good to, to say, I'm a sinner. Nobody would introduce themselves as like, hey. Paul did though. The more he knew Jesus, the more he said, man, of sinners, I am the chief. <laughs> I am the worst of the worst. The more he got to know the holiness of God, the more he valued what he'd been given. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is it. This is the gate right here, the gate, the narrow gate that isn't the end of the deal, it's the start, right? The narrow gate that leads to the narrow path. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. master, supreme authority. Not just I believe he's God. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. And this is the step through the gate. And now we begin on the path of life, the narrow path that's gonna demand everything and give you so much more in return. So much more. I'm gonna ask you, I know we got people picking up their kids right now, but just would you close your eyes for a moment with me? And we want to lean into this for just a moment because it's a big deal. Some of us legitimately, we've prayed a prayer at some point, but our faith is in the success of that prayer. And our heart never really connected to it. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, there's a shift that happens when we decide and just picture it, just picture there's this gate in front of you. You decide to step through that gate. And in front of you is this path that is unlike anything you've seen before. And it looks a little hard and it looks a little scary. And yet you feel on the inside this peace that everything's gonna be okay. And you were made for this. That's a biblical thing. The word says that eternity is hidden in our hearts, that we were fashioned for him. And so we crave, we crave his presence. And because he's holy, we instinctively know it should be a narrow road. So I'm gonna ask this morning if there's anybody in the house, you know you need to make that commitment today. And I mean, you need to make that commitment. This is the beginning, 
of a walk down that path. Would you just put your hand up for a moment? And we're gonna pray together today. But if you need to make that commitment, and if you're online, we bless you in that decision. Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? It's this deep thing, huh? It's this deep place in God that he calls us to. And now I'm gonna ask if you are, you've, you've been walking with God, but you know you have been drifting onto the broad path and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you feel the draw to the more specific way that he's called you to, and you wanna to surrender to that today, would you just pop your hand up? Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, all over the room, I see those hands. This is the call to that narrow path. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, I see that hand up in the balcony. See that hand, see those hands. Yeah, thank you, Lord all over the room. Let's stand together this morning. You know, this is a really big deal. It's a really big deal that we are confidently stepping onto the path with Him. The reality is sometimes we don't, oh, we don't want to release some of the stuff that we know we're gonna have to release. We're not super comfortable with taking up our cross. We're not super comfortable denying ourselves, but we also don't want him to be any less holy than he is. So in order for us to have relationship with God, we either come his way or we ask him to come down to our level and we make him a God of our choosing and our making, which destroys the concept of truth, which means we all live subjectively how we want to and there's no hope. So because He is holy, and because He is good, and because He is just, and He says this is the way, we choose it. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, and would you just pray after me this morning, and then we're gonna sing this song of the holiness of God, because this is the reason we, we can't change. Father God, I come before you today and I recognize your significance. I recognize your rulership. I recognize your authority. And God, today, I bring you my life. I admit that I'm a sinner and I recognize According to your word, only Jesus could pay the price. And so God, from the depths of my heart, I choose you. I choose Jesus. And I ask your forgiveness for every place I've fallen short and missed the mark. And God, I ask that you would cleanse me 
and forgive me and make me new. And God, I declare today that you are my Lord and my Savior. I submit myself to your rulership and I am choosing today by faith the narrow gate and the narrow path and I thank you for the freedom that comes with stepping out in that with you. I invite you to lead me, to guide me, to change me. And I thank you that as I walk on this path, your truth is absolute and your grace is sufficient. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize. Mobilize.